everybody's special. We might not all be you know, pop singers. We might not all be NBA players. We might not all be celebrities. We might not all be billionaires, but we're all special. What would people's mask look like if they grew up hearing the message, you're special, let's develop that. My name is Ashanti and welcome to the Taking Off the Mask podcast, where men come and get real. Men of all ages, backgrounds, cultures come together to talk about what we show and what we don't show. In these conversations, we talk about the front of the mask being what we gladly let the world see about us. And the back of the mask are the things that we don't usually talk much about. Maybe you ask yourself, what things are you gladly showing on your mask? What are the things that you're letting people see about you? And what are the things that you're kind of keeping to yourself? Today, sharing his mask is Jerry Sandusky. He's the voice of the NFL's Baltimore Ravens. I'm not really a voice guy, but Jerry has an amazing voice, by the way. He's a broadcaster. He's a communications coach. You know, I got connected to Jerry when I was invited to present at the NatCon conference 2023. That was in the L.A. Convention Center, the National Council for Mental Health. And I was out for I was invited to do a TED talk, a TED style talk at this conference. And Jerry was my coach. And man, I've never really had a speaking coach. There was one time. I had a, someone help me with a speech, but this was beautiful. And his process was really inspiring to me as a person who speaks a lot, several dozen, hundred times a year, maybe. I am so excited to be on this conversation with him. During the NatCon conference, we not only had a chance to deliver this meaningful talk about the emotional locksmith. But he shared his story. I got to learn about his story and his growing up with his father and his story of his father and the book that he wrote. And I was inspired on so many levels of this conversation, not only when I got to meet Jerry face to face and in Los Angeles, but also in this conversation where we go a little deeper. You know, I really hope that as you listen to these conversations, you are also inspired that people from all backgrounds, no matter where they're from, have more to each of us than people can see by just looking at us. So today's conversation with Jerry, I hope you not only enjoy the words that we say, I hope you enjoy the inspiration that hopefully more young men and more men around the world get when they think about the mask they wear. You know, Jerry is a broadcaster in the NFL. He meets players all the time who have these roles they play. They have the professional athlete. And they have the human person who is navigating life in so many ways. And some of them navigate it better than others. And you've seen it. You've seen it play out in real time on the whether whatever your favorite sports show is or your favorite channel is or even just the evening news. You've seen what happens when players sometimes don't deal with the things that are going on with their lives. And so even though we don't talk about sports in this conversation too much, even though we don't talk about the players who play for the Ravens, but we do talk about what it's like to have two men come together and have real conversations. I think our world misses that. I think we need that. And hopefully these conversations will inspire more people to do that. If you haven't made a mask yet, we invite you to make a mask at millionmask.org. And if you are not yet following this podcast or if you have not subscribed, please subscribe now. Tell someone about it. We think there's a lot of new changes that are going to be happening over this next season that hopefully will inspire you to be not only a listener, 
but a part of this Million Mask movement. Um, stay tuned for some news coming soon that is going to help our work in this Ever Forward Club and hopefully help the work that you do in your daily lives to build connection with the people you care about. Thank you for being a part of the Taking Off the Mask podcast. We'll see you soon, folks. Thanks. Bye now. Jerry's and Dusky, welcome to the Taking Off the Mask podcast. It is so great to have you. Ashanti, awesome to be with you. I've been looking forward to this and uh, just honored to be on the episode. How about this? How about you tell folks what you want them to know about you before we jump in? But what would you like folks to know about you before we jump into these masks? So I'm the play-by-play voice of the Baltimore Ravens, broadcaster for the NBC affiliate in Baltimore. I do the 6 and 11 o'clock sports. And then my other passion is I'm the president of my own communications coaching consulting company called Sandusky Group, where I teach leaders and emerging leaders how to bring their excellence to the front of the room, the Zoom, and the camera, the three areas that intimidate most people and, and kind of hold most people back. So I just show them how to move past those barriers and really shine in those spotlights. You definitely helped me as I was uh, preparing for my NatCon conference. And so i so glad we got to meet there. And so thank you for being a part of this with us today. My pleasure. Well, we're going to make our mask together. The mask is this movement that we created around emotions and around our beings and who we are. And I think that people, for me, who wants to be in front of the camera more, but also is a little shy and nervous and has a lot of noise in my head about it. Sometimes it's all this a plan behind the scenes that gets in the way of us kind of maybe even being our, our, our full self sometimes. You absolutely nailed it. And your phrase is perfect. There's a lot of noise going on in the back of your head. And, and so... Think of it this way. You have a left brain and a right brain. And the right brain is the creative side. It's the stuff that made you think of like, you know, the million mask movement. Like, you know, that's creative. And the left brain is the critic. It's the one who says, you're not tall enough. Or why did I say that? Or, hey, you're not, you're not, you don't have enough credentials. Who am I to be out there? And if those are talking at the same time, it's like having Mm -hmm. three different television stations on simultaneously. You can't weed it out. And so you just run away. The art of the deal is to separate the right from the left. And so, for example, when we're on, whether it's a podcast, TV show, a video, when you're on, you only bring your right brain. Mm. And I teach people, you make a deal with your left brain, the critic. Hey, when I'm all done, we'll play back the tape and you can critic and you can critique and talk, but you never bring the critic to the front of the room, the Zoom, or the camera. Mm. Mm. That's powerful. That's powerful. And maybe... I and, and I wonder, like in that, in that, and even in that thinking of like where the left brain comes in, like in the place of being able to be reflective, right? Like reflective. Like if I'm going to be like you, like you tell people about how about things that went that were tough times, right? To reflect back on those tough times, right? As a reflection, but that's not that's that's creative. Is that also considered creative? Completely creative, mm. because you can reflect back on the tough times and and learn the lesson from them. You know, failure and tough times can either be your teacher or your judge. The creative side of your brain will always learn the lesson and let it be a teacher. The mm. left side, the critic side, will always make it your judge. It'll say, well, you know, you failed in eighth grade. You know, you, you, didn't, you didn't make the basketball team in high school. You didn't qualify for the college you wanted to get into. And it'll remind you all the, and pull you down. Mm. The creative side of your brain will say, hey, look, you didn't just a grade at X, Y, and Z, but you know what? You made it through. And so you can make it through this. And it's, you know, one's very positive and uplifting and one's very negative and pulling down. Mm, okay. we, and we both have, like you said, we have all that noise in our head. 
And yeah. the art of the deal is to separate them. That's it. I think that's part of this chapter. In this chapter where we're right now, like we're hitting this milestone in this in this podcast, but also like I've been talking about writing this book and I've really been, I was inspired by, by your book, right? Like um, we had that chat about the book at, at that, at that meeting we had, that dinner we had. And I was like, this is powerful. Like, like I have a story that I want to tell. And I'm also, sometimes I get in front of the computer and I'm just like, Oh, I don't know what to write. And that's why, so my, the critic shows up to the computer too. Oh like, yeah. Hmm. Same thing. Yeah, you know. Same thing. So, so when you're in front of the, when you're at the keyboard, there's two ways to write. You know, some people will say you write the perfect sentence. And when you have that done, write the second sentence. You'll never write a book that way. <laughs> Ernest Hemingway had this great expression. He said, it's okay to write shit. You just don't publish it. You have to go because writing is rewriting. Mm-hmm. So you just let the, you just go and just, you know, the expression is open a vein. Just start writing. Don't worry about if it's any good. Don't worry if it makes sense. Just write. Now you have the clay to go back and reshape. Yeah. But if you sit there and think, well, should I, should I have said, oh, and, or is that capitalized? Do I do, like, you'll just, you're locked up. You'll never get free and that creativity will never flow. That's right. And I'll go check emails because it's easier. I know I can get something done. Exactly. Yep. That's what I have. That's, yep. That's my, that's my MO. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do it. We're already talking about the mask. Let's do it. Let's, um, there's three steps. So folks, Jerry and I are going to make our masks here and we're going to do our masks publicly, but you can do yours anonymously at millionmask.org. And um, we're going to jump into it right now. So, Jerry, on the left side of that piece of paper, I want you to just draw a mask. Like, whatever you think a mask looks like, whatever you draw is going to be perfect. On the left side, which is this, we're going to be in this creative part right now. Draw a mask. Got it. Okay. All right. So now on the side where you drew the mask, you're going to write three words on that same side. So three words that are qualities or characteristics of yourself that are that you gladly let the world see? What are three qualities or characteristics that you gladly let the world see? Got it. Okay. And now we're going to move. That's the front of the mask. And now we're going to move to the right side, which is the back of the mask. And the back of the mask are things that you don't usually talk much about or that are harder to talk about or um, the things that are be kind of sometimes behind the mask. The three things that you feel comfortable sharing today that are that are often more behind the mask. Got it. All right. Now, since you're the guest, you get to decide who goes first. Either you go first or I go first. You tell, you decide. I'll, I'll go first. Okay. So just do the front first and then, um, and then I'll, sh- and then anything you want to say about the front and then I'll share the front. Mine. So the front, my front mask, I put entertaining, insightful, and a guide. Cool. Anything you want to say about any of those? So uh, entertaining was always my way of, you know, I'm the last of five kids. And so I was the youngest at the table. So I had to be quick witted to survive in a big family and make sure I got something to eat. I had to be, I have a sharp wit. I had to be able to like be really quick. And as I grew up, that was a really great skill in school because it helped you to stand out and it helped you to, you know, girls found it really attractive to have a good sense of humor and then as I got into the professional world, that helped me to stand out. So it became a real asset to just be able to you know, be quick-witted and entertaining because it made people stop and really see, hey, you're different. Will you show, will you show your mask? Can you show what you, what you drew? Cool. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll go, for, I'll go first. I'm, now we're doing the front of the mask. So this is what I drew. Uh, this is in, in honor of coming back from Tucson, Arizona. I drew a, cool. a, a cactus. <laughs> so on the front, I wrote serious dedicated and driven 
And I think that I, I, I'm, I don't know why I didn't write kind or caring. Cause those are really things that I would really try and show. I think right now in this season of my work is like very focused on like moving these projects forward. And sometimes like I have a hard time bringing the edge out. Right. So the edge is like, like the kind of, like, I don't want to be a, a, top bo- a tyrant boss. Right. I want to, and so how do you have the balance between being serious, dedicated, driven, but also kind and respectful and community driven, but also like we got to get stuff done. Right. And so sometimes I realize that I kind of, I'm either being too kind and too nice that people don't know that I'm actually serious about what I'm trying to correct in the certain behavior or whatever, or I'm being so driven that people think that I'm like being disrespectful or being unkind. And so I'm, this is what I, I'm trying to show, and I think these are the ones that came out today, serious, dedicated, driven, which is, that's the, that's like the. Get her done. Get it done side of myself. Um, And even the, even the character that I drew, that I drew with that interesting smile is like, yeah, I'm kind of smiling, but I'm also like, we got, look, let's go. But I, but I, but I actually, I default to smile. I that's where I default, but it's interesting that these are the words that came out today. That's powerful. Yeah. That's the front of my mask. So now we go to the back. Afraid, failed potential, not enough. You want to say anything about those? So yeah, I, I think they play into each other. You know, like we're all afraid of what's next. You know, I'm, I'm a 61 year old white male in America. Like, what's next? Like, I feel myself becoming translucent, where people either look at me and see things that they don't like and other people who, who have looked like me and done things that nobody should be proud of. You know, you're falsely labeled. You're afraid of that. And then the other one is, like, can I handle whatever's next? Can I, can, can I, can I handle, you know, the, the last leg of my broadcasting career? Can I segue into, you know, the unknown of what happens after your professional career is done? Like, I've always been, like, quietly a fearful kid growing up and there's always that kind of fear in the background probably wasn't until i was in college that fear was the only form of motivation i knew mm. i remember the professor doc slevin he was a, a science professor where i went to college it was just an elective course that i took and i took the course because i'd heard he was such a great professor physiology i think was a class and mm. he was the first person who ever introduced me into positive motivation so I've always had this kind of dichotomy of, you know, fear and afraid has always driven me. But and I just, I just, you never shed that stuff. It's still there. Mm. Failed potential. I'm always interested when, if somebody introduces me at the beginning of a seminar or a podcast or a public speaking, and they start to read through your accomplishments, there's a part of me that thinks, man, that's pretty cool. That guy's done some cool stuff. Mm. And, and, but I don't think that's me. I see, you know, the businesses that I started that didn't quite take off or, you know, the investment that went south or, you know, a relationship that didn't work out or a mentorship that I didn't fulfill the potential of. Like, that's the part that I have for me behind the mask. Thank you for sharing that. I think I I really resonate with the part about the resume. Like, I mean, a lot of those parts, but definitely the part about the resume and fear. Like, I got invited to be on this podcast a little while called the Midlife Revolution. I was like, I almost felt insulted that he invited me to the midlife. Midlife, what are you talking about? I'm young, you know what I mean? And then I really thought about it like, oh, wait, I'm 47. 
There's no yep. 90, there's no 90 year old people in my family. There's no males. There's no 90 year old men in my life. Like men in my life, men in my family don't make it to 90 years old. Not in these, not in this modern time. So kind of like, oh, wow. Like my, my father, you know, he died before I was born, but he died at 30 something. So when I was in my thirties, I was kind of freaked out a lot of time. Like I was, I was, I had a, I had a word, had a lot of behind the mask worrying, like, Oh my goodness! I'm like outliving, you know this this figure before me. Um, that's an unsettling feeling. I, I had a brother who passed when, when he was 19. My mom died at 58, mm-hmm. and I remember being 18 and 59, thinking, "How can I have outlived them? How can I be older today than they ever were?" That's 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 a tough one to get your head wrapped around with people you love. Man, I remember driving my um just a couple of days ago. My grandmother went back to Arkansas. She was here visiting. And I uh, was dropping her at the airport and she's 80s. She's in her 80s. And like, like, I don't think, I don't think I've ever like had that thing at the airport where people are like, oh, bye. I never have that. I mean, I'm just like, thank you for coming. See you later. Hug. Bye. Kiss. But this one on the way driving home, I was like, I don't want to think about negative thoughts. I don't want to think about, I don't want to be in the worry side of the brain, but it picks up a lot. It yeah. picks up a lot and it. And I, and I feel it. And I sometimes, I was, and I was like, wow, I was like feeling myself like starting to tear up. And I was like, I love her, right? I love my grandmother. But I was, so anyway, those moments of like, oh, wow, like, why not do the things you need to do while you're here, which is part of my own journey to myself, you know? So thank you for, thank you for sharing the mask. What was your third one on, on uh, behind the oh, no, I have, oh, I haven't shared it yet. I'm going to share it now. Okay. I, I was, I was just talking. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but mine were self critical, fear. And family loss. I think the worry about family loss, the the thought of family loss. Um, like my 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 dad died before I was born. I think um, I told uh, what I've learned over the time is that as my I was growing in my mom's womb, like I was bathing in sadness. Like my mom, she was grieving, and so a lot of that got passed down to me. And I basically became very emotional. I was a very emotional little boy growing up in Oakland, California, where you're not allowed to really have feelings, you know? And so I had to learn to tuck all those, em- that emotional side of myself away. So I just became very like kind of almost stoic. And at home, I had to be a certain character for her. But when I left out of her house, the streets of Oakland didn't, they didn't tolerate you to show feelings, not to keep you safe, you know? But you could do it, but it's going to be a cost, you know? It's kind of like hydraulics. You, you can press it down one part of your life, but it's going to show up somewhere else. Mm, and it might show it, up 20 years later, but it's going to show up somewhere else. I mean, that's the, that's the part that like, woof. you know, family losses. That's my last one. It's not enough. Mm, I lost my brother. Do the math. I was 17. I'm 61. So I'm not really good at math on the fly. So it's, you know, 44 years ago. It was, a, it was a long time ago, but that pain never leaves. And it's always tucked behind that. You know, most people don't, I don't share that with everybody I know, although I did write about it in the book because it needs to be out there. It, it, you know, it's, it's, it becomes part of who you are. But there's this great scene in the movie Saving Private Ryan. Mm. where the main character who Tom Hanks saves his life in, in World War II and as Hanks is dying, he said, you know, tells him, earn it. 
earn this second chance at life. Guy gets towards the end of his life. And he looks at his wife, and I'm paraphrasing, but essentially says, you know, have I been a good enough man? I feel I, I feel that behind my mask. Thank you for sharing that. I, I you know, I, I was so excited to have this conversation with you because I think that we we've got to finally meet after our calls and you coaching me just in how to present, but also just the energy that you help to share with me about the realness. Like, how do we get on stage like and say things that are like real, true and meaningful, like and you helped me with that when I when you when you when we came up with that phrase, I am an emotional locksmith. I was like, there ain't no way that I'm going to say that to anybody. There's no way. And I know I am what, so what was coming up. What was coming up was my self-critical voice, my fear, my self-doubt. Like, who are you to be t- claiming something like that? Who are you to own a title like that? Who are you, who do you think you are? Which is what I heard re- replaying in my community a lot growing up. Who do you think you are? You think you special? You think you better than us? And I even heard that when I came home from college, my, you know, after freshman year, have a good job, got a good internship working at the Pacific Gas and Electric Company. I'm making good money that summer as a college student and having to hear voices that are in those ways. Like, who do you think you are? And some of them, some of them, they come from myself, but they were programmed from outside. They were programmed from the, the community that I lived in, unfortunately, that were, that wasn't always letting you be proud of yourself. So like, they, they could be proud of you. They could be like, yeah, but you can't be proud of yourself. And so it's really interesting. So it's one of the things I love about the masks is that think about where you grew up. You grew up in Oakland, California, West Coast. I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, East Coast. You grew up in a predominantly black community. I grew up in a predominantly white community. And yet if you look behind our mask, you and I have two, two of the three attributes identical because we heard the same message. I heard it in this alpha male sports world. You know, you're not enough. You're not fast enough. You're not quick enough. Who are you to think you're special? And you heard it in in your community, but it was the same message from completely different worlds. And if you took the the stereotype from those two worlds, they would have said, my God, these worlds are, they're a world apart. They're totally different. They're not. They're identical. Yeah. Yeah. And we let our eyes do the judging. Our eyes tell us, oh, we're so different. So therefore, we must be different. And therefore, we can't be alike. And therefore, we probably should not get along. And sadly, we probably have more in common. But we use if, if we're using our eyes to tell us, we would never think we would have anything in common. I brought this up the other day. It's like, you know, life gives you these things at different points in your journey so that if you're paying attention, you see way beyond yourself. For me, in my 60s, I'm 61, I've had this, I mean, like, epiphany of empathy, mm. where as a 61-year-old white male in America, I, saw, I use the phrase translucent. If I'm on television, if I'm on the air, you'll see me, you'll hear me. But if I'm just walking down the street, you're not going to see me anymore because, you know, I'm, I'm just on the cusp of being an old man. I'm an old white guy with gray hair. I'm, I mean, I'm like literally at the, at the front door of irrelevant in the eyes of most people. Mm. Well, as a black man in America growing up, I'm, I, I got to believe you felt that way a lot as a young man, that people didn't see you, that you were translucent. They looked right past you. They didn't see you. Yeah, That's yeah. been my real, like, wow, aha, uh-huh. yeah. in my 60s is how many people have had to deal 
with that invisibility, that feeling of nobody sees you. I think about that as I was thinking about being at Cal Poly. I went to San Luis Obispo, Cal Poly. It was 2% black population. Not a lot of people look like me there. And I think that there's a lot of people in that place who were like, oh, you don't deserve to be here. Like, and because you know, it looks like you, you walk down the hallway, you walk down the quad, you, you look around. There's nobody who like, when they look at you, they're like, Hey, and where you grow up, like whether you know somebody or not, you just acknowledge them. Like it, I, I didn't experience that there. So I think even in college that, that feeling started. And every time you would see somebody who you kind of knew, or you thought you knew you were like, and then you would, you would make eye contact with them. <laughs> you were like, and I think there's it's that idea of like, okay, okay, okay. And I, I take that, get me to the next time I see somebody, right? Cause I'm not gonna see somebody probably for the next two days. Right. But at least <laughs> I saw somebody today around over there by the English building and I uh, may not see nobody for the rest of the day, but at least I got a little bit of taste of like, ah, okay. I, I, I was seen today. I was seen today. Yeah. That validation of I was seen, you know, I had this experience. I was, I was at uh, an Orioles game. I covered, you know, the Orioles, obviously in Baltimore. And I was leaving after like the third inning to go back to the TV station where I work. And coming in was this family of four, and they had like two young kids, and 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 uh, uh, you know the grandmother's with them. And so the dad's like wrestling with the two kids to get up up the stairs, and the grandmother's on a cane, and I, it's like six steps to go to the front door, and and I I just took her hand and said, "Can I help you up, up the steps?" And she oh she was big smile and said, "Thank you very much." I climbed the six steps, helped her up. And we stopped and looked at each other. She, like, she looked at me. She had these piercingly beautiful blue eyes. And we just held eyes for what seemed like an eternity. But it was just a second where I recognized how much she appreciated that somebody saw her. It was that simple. It was just, it was, it, it so moved me. That's a beautiful point. And I, I've seen that happen in places like, like the cafe. Like if I go to Starbucks or get coffee, like, I think most time people are not even used to people thanking them. Like when I, like I, 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 I like thanking people and I like acknowledging them. And like when they ready to take your order, can I take, okay, what, do you, what would you like? I'm like, good morning. How are you? And I'll like stop. And they're like, almost like, like in shock that you've like, you're really waiting for an answer. Like you're not that I'm trying to like make you answer my question. I'm just, I'm really asking to say, good morning. How are you? And maybe they're so used to just being like, just give me my coffee. Don't don't ask me no questions. And they almost and, and it's almost like that moment where you you feel somebody feel, oh wow, like he really asked, right? Like, and I think we don't get it enough. I think we want it. We need it. I believe we need it more than we want it. But I think we definitely need, we definitely sometimes don't know how to ask for it. And to take it full circle, if you think about you know the communities we grow up in, while they on the surface they look totally different geographically, socioeconomically, the message we both got was identical. Yeah. So why yeah. can't the message be, hey, what makes you special? Or mm. you're special. Yeah. Let's develop yeah. that. Because we all are. Everybody's special. Look, we might not we, we might not all be, you know, pop singers. We might not all be NBA players. We might not all be celebrities. We might not all be billionaires, but we're all special. Yeah. What would what would what would people's mask look like if they grew up hearing the message, you're special? Let's develop that. I think it's this idea. I heard about this recently. I, don't, I haven't done the research on who came up with it, but it's called like the fallacy of uniqueness, right? Where people have been told they're, you're unique. There's no one like you. 
And we also think that that's true for us and our, the things we, cha- we go through challenging our problems, our worries, our doubts. Like, and so it's easier just to be like, well, I'm not going to talk about it because no one knows what I'm going through because no one's possibly going through this because I'm the only one. <laughs> There's only one me. So therefore, it must be true for my, I mean, yes, your DNA is uniquely you and you are the only one who was created in that moment of creation, <laughs> but you are probably going through things that people in your own community house, even friend group are going through. But because you've thought that no one could possibly understand you, we hold it back behind this fallacy of uniqueness. Like I'm, I'm unique in my own problems too. And, and I think that's what we miss. Sometimes people miss to seek out talking about things they're going through. And that's why it's so important, as you discovered, to bring your vulnerability to the front of the room, the zoom, the camera, the stage, the microphone, the computer, whatever the, whatever the medium might be, because it's not just about you discussing your pain and your traumas and your, and your struggles. We all have those. But when you do discuss them, they resonate with other people. Other people who, on surface, you might look at and say, oh, they can't have any problems. You know, what, what problems can he have? He's a sportscaster. He's a, he's, he owns his own communications consulting company. He's a white guy. Like, what problems can he have? He's a, he's got a podcast. He's this, he's he's a good looking black man with a great smile. People love. Like, it, it's easy for people to look at that exterior and think they don't have any problems. But as soon as we start discussing where we're really coming from, all of a sudden the exterior melts away. That's right. That's right. You know, and you're, and you're not, you know, this or that. It's like that's, you know, the connection I think is lies in the courage to bring yeah. your vulnerability to the front of computers, microphones, cameras, stages. It is what really helps other people unlock, which is why you're so gifted as the emotional locksmith. Mm. You know, one of the things I was, as we get ready to wrap up, I, I was thinking about like the, you were, broadcasting these professional athletes who are the top one, two percent of 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 their profession. And I don't know about your 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 in Baltimore what you've seen, but I know we've seen around the world, around the country, athletes who have all of this stuff provided to them by their skills. And then somehow they don't keep it. <laughs> I'm trying to think of how to say it carefully. Right. They don't keep it. They they've decided to do some be, some attitudes, behaviors, actions that have that causes those things to be taken away or they d- totally just dis- diminish themselves in this idea of like, let me put on this mask for the people who I need to impress or who I need to prove who I am. And I think we've seen it over and over again. I don't want to name a bunch of athletes right now, but I do want to, because you, because you know, we work with a lot of young people and I tell our young people, listen, your, your talent will make room for you, but your character will, well, if you're not clear about your, who you're, who you are and your values, it will close every door that you opened with the, with your talent. And some, you know, you can bounce back from and some the doors, they, they won't open again for you. And as, as a person who is constantly around these A-list a- a- athletes, is there something you would, a message you have for young athletes who are on their journey, right? Because some of them are becoming who they're becoming. And if they don't, they're not careful, they could easily be becoming what they don't really want. I think what we're doing here today and what you're doing especially is so powerful and so important because if you don't address that stuff that's behind the mask, you can make $50 million and you're going to lose it all because your life, you know, at a, at a kind of a universal spiritual level, thoughts become things and your life will eventually take you in the direction of, of what you believe and what your thoughts are. So 
If you believe you are unworthy, if you believe you are poor, you can make $50 million and eventually you'll still show up poor. Mm. And you'll attract the people in your life who will take your money from you. You'll attract the people in your life who will take your, your houses, your cars, your possessions from you. If behind your mask is that belief that has been unchecked, unexplored, that you're not worthy or that you are essentially poor of spirit, money, or soul. Oh, wow. It will play out. And so that's why, that's why the Million Mask is so powerful because it's helping a lot of young people really pay attention to what they're feeling and thinking. And, and, and look, like even what we've done today, once you, once you get it out there, it no longer has power over you. Once you get it out there, even though it might still be like it, it no longer controls you from, from that hidden man behind the curtain perspective. Mm. And so now you can move on and you can reshape your thinking. You can reshape your beliefs. By the way, beliefs are nothing more than thoughts we think over and over. Mm. Yeah, man. So if you think about these great young athletes, you know, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, it doesn't matter. How did they get to be great athletes? They, they were DNA born with certain skill set that none of us will have. That's fine. But there's a lot of people who are born with that caliber of DNA who don't make it. Mm-hmm. Guys who make it are very disciplined, and they train themselves, and they learn the techniques, and they practice it over and over and over. Well, you can do the same thing with your thinking. And if you can develop your character, your thinking, and your skill set simultaneously, yeah, ain't nobody taking your money away. That's right. Mm. Jerry, you know, I could talk to you for hours. Uh, I, I appreciate you for making time to be on the show. I know the season's about to get started. We're off and running soon. <laughs> yeah. Will you let folks know how they can, for the, if they want to get work on their being in front of the camera, the stage, the people, how can they reach out to you? What, what, what way is the best ways for them to follow you or learn more about what you're doing? Easiest way is go to my website, sanduskygroup.com. Or if you want to follow me on social media, the easiest one is Instagram at G Sandusky. Fantastic. Well, I so appreciate you for being here today. Um, folks, Jerry and I, we shared our mask here publicly. Like we did it today publicly, but you don't have to do that. You can go on our website, millionmask.org, make your mask anonymously. And maybe after you make it anonymously, you'll begin to let go of some of that stuff that's holding you back. Jerry. I so appreciate you. Thank you for being on the show. Love you, buddy. Great being being with you and honored to be a guest on the show. You're doing great work. Uh, I I hope the Million Mask Movement becomes the 10 Million Mask Movement. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Thank you, Jerry. I appreciate you. See you, buddy. The Taking Off the Mask podcast is produced by Ryan Louie and graphics by Kelly Wong. Guests are managed by Dan Paloma and the podcast is edited by Samuel Matingo. We'd like to thank everyone who's been a part of the creation of this podcast. And for every guest that's been a part of the show, you are now a part of the Taking Off the Mask family. The Taking Off the Mask podcast is brought to you by the Ever Forward Club. And if you like what you've heard today, please subscribe, write a five-star review, and share this with someone. We look forward to having more conversations that matter. And please remember, there is more to you than anybody can see by just looking at you.